Gates. After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. All right, dear listeners, welcome back to the greenhouse. Please welcome back for their second appearance. Co-host of Sentai Truther, co-host of the Velvet Butcher Shop livestream, please welcome back Kennedy, folks. Hey. Yeah, hopefully those things uh, for a while longer. (laughs) (laughs) My financial hardships in 2021 have gotten severe, so I may have to cut a show. (laughs) We'll see. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry to start this one off on a No, no, you're oh, fine. Wow. I mean it's just it, it, it's 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 end of the year mindset for all of us now, right? Where it's just like, "Oh my god, is this going to last into the next year?" I I don't know. I don't I don't know, you know what I mean? Cuz like uh how, how do you feel about like this like new thing of Twitter spaces? Cuz when those first came out, I'm like, "Is this the is this like competition for podcasts?" Are we over now? Like, <laughs> I'm definitely interested to like check it out a little more because I've only like spent a little time in Twitter Spaces overall, like maybe an hour or two total, um, uh, just in like a couple of friends' spaces. Uh, I feel like it's not exactly like a podcast killer. If anything, it's more of trying to compete with Discord in some ways. I feel like, like it's competing with where we're at right now. Right, like with Discord or even what's the other one, Clubhouse? Is that the one where like yeah. random people just pop in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so like, uh, you know, you can just start a room on Twitter and people can just drop by and come hang out and you can let some of them speak or whatever. And so you could use that to organize a game. You can use that to have a serious discussion. Uh, you could use that to, uh, you know, do some live comedy so it definitely has like a lot of potential in that way, but I I don't know I don't know where it's going yet, and especially because like Twitter is definitely one of these tech platforms that is just apt to drop a thing so suddenly. I'm nervous to get invested in the idea of spaces, especially after they took after they took fleets from us. You know, there was very little warning for that too, and it felt like they didn't really give it that much time to like become a thing i don't know what i'm trying to say exactly but like a a year is not that long to adopt a significant new feature or a significant new technology right like that's actually like I think a lot it of makes these perfect sense. That makes really sense. overestimate how fast a lot of this stuff works and especially i think that they've forgotten that as the internet grows, and by grows, I mean more people get online and more people get like significantly online in some way. Uh, like my dad has a YouTube channel now. <laughs> oh, instance. wow. Uh, it's actually cool. He does, he does cool stuff on it because um, he does like uh, bubbles and geometry and things. And he's actually a very smart guy. <laughs> oh, cool. um, and, uh, so, uh, but like, you know, he's, he's not the type that you'd expect necessarily. He's getting a little older, you know, <laughs> he's, if, you know, generally on computers less. He doesn't watch a lot of TV or movies even, you know, um, 
but he does have a YouTube channel and he does do a little bit of social media um, and things like that. And so, you know, people that you wouldn't expect are getting more online. As that happens, it takes more time for shit to get adopted. I think tech companies have really forgotten that. Um, you know, in the early days of the internet, if you only had like a couple 10,000 or a couple hundred thousand users on your platform, you could push a new feature. And everybody who's online at that time is really into tech. And so everybody's going to like be hungry to learn that stuff right away. You know, I think techie people forget that like a lot of people don't feel that way. <laughs> like, you know, when, when, a, when a techie person sees a new feature, uh, I don't know if the, I want to say they or we right now, because I'm kind of borderline, like I'm a little bit techie, but as I get older, I'm kind of like, eh, I still want to keep up with it enough that I, I never fall too far behind. But at the same time, I'm not as like excited about it, you know? Uh, I'm I'm with you there. I'm I'm like <laughs> I am required to use all of it, but slowly but surely I'm turning into a luddite. <laughs> this is all the devil. <laughs> and I like I like computers still. I just I don't want to be the person that dives into like the deepest types of problems necessarily on computers <laughs> at this point in my life. If I can fix lots of basic to intermediate problems, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and if I can navigate lots of like basic to intermediate like softwares, I'm happy. I don't really need to be a like one of those people. I use Linux, um, but I use Ubuntu because I'm just a, a lazy fuck. And I'm not. I'm nothing gonna, wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I, nothing wrong with it. And 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 uh, I'm definitely not one of those people that's going to use one of those obscure Linux versions. It takes like ten hours to set up. That's never happening. Yeah, I, I I hear you there. Uh, I can't even believe we lost fleets this year. Like it, everything feels like it happened like ten or so years ago now. But yeah, so you know, like a lot of people, they're not hyped to just jump on the new feature immediately. It takes time. But like by the time fleets died, it was kind of finally getting popular. That's the really goofy part. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It just I seems like they felt like if it didn't, if fleets didn't immediately crush Snapchat in three months. I mean, that's how they treated it. It's like we can't beat the Facebook and Instagram stories. We can't beat Snapchat stories. Well, let's just get rid of the feature. Get rid of it. <laughs> let's let's not see if we can over time maybe beat one of these things out. My gosh, I mean, you know, the lo- the loss of fleets. Definitely one of the ba- the worst things that's happened to me this year. But let's let's talk about good things that came out this year. I just have to say one more thing about it before we <laughs> go ahead. Which is, it's it's so short sighted because of course what happened right after the loss of fleets, Facebook took like seventeen PR hits in a year, literally being associated with a genocide. <laughs> that's as bad as it gets. Um, so Facebook absolutely tanked its reputation right after Twitter gets rid of fleets. Like, if you would just let it be, let it exist for a little while longer, fleets would probably be killing one of those things now. But no, too short-sighted. 
And that's how I'm going to bring it in. See, because you know what's not short-sighted? A story that takes place over hundreds of years. <laughs> that is the story of the Joestar family. <laughs> <laughs> the release of Stone Ocean, it finally came out. I actually, like... I want to hear your like initial takes on this because like this is the one part that on certain spaces in the fandom everyone's like ah oh, it's the worst part, and I don't really read the manga so I don't have like a frame of reference for it. Uh, but I think this has probably been like one of the best seasons to come out so far. I don't read the manga, so you know full disclosure. I'm sure there will be people that might listen to this that read the manga. And uh, you might have different opinions on some of these parts or some of these characters or things like that. Uh, And that's fair because you've been exposed to a different version of it. But from my perspective, Stone Ocean is great. I don't don't know what the deal is. (laughs) Um, I can see how it could be a little divisive, though, in the same way as like part four. It feels like that same kind of like slight power level drop that you had from like part three to part four, where part three feels like, you know, the end of the world, like doomsday shit. And then part four is like, well, we're roaming around town. I think there's a serial killer. And you're like, oh, okay. This, this seems bad, I guess. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of inconsistency with power levels. I mean, they had to write Hugo out of part five just because like... His stand power is coronavirus. He can kill everyone in the room. <laughs> Let's just write him out real quick. Okay. Yeah, if Fugo, if Fugo fights the boss, Fugo wins. For real. For uh, real. Is clearly the conclusion that Araki must have come to <laughs> while he's writing it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so there's, like, there's kind of like a, a little bit of a power level drop again between parts 5 and 6, and I think that might be one of the things that puts people off and it's also it's a bit more random than part five in particular so i think like coming if if you you know you've just come off of part five which is a great part um in my opinion and uh you know has a couple of flaws but really good uh and also it's very coherent and consistent it it, it makes sense from the start you know where it's going it's really easy to follow you come straight off of that. Part six is confusing. The power levels are kind of somewhat lower. It's strange. It's like bizarro. It's mysterious. It's but that's great. I don't know what the problem is with that. <laughs> and coming to that point, actually, like I feel like this is one of the more clear seasons so far. Or at least I don't know if I like what they've done with the the way they've chosen to produce this season of it so far at least i know it's not the full uh arc yet or the full the full part yet yeah but i've tried to watch jojo's with my partner so many times and i think i like dropped them in the middle of part three at one point and of course they didn't know what was going on but especially within the episode they were like i'm I'm lost why is this going on i'm lost why is this going on Part six was actually pretty clear in the setup. I feel like they're giving all the flashbacks at the right time. Everyone's like uh, thoughts are kind of explained in a way that makes sense. And the fights also, because like JoJo's fights, because of how absolute the power of a stand can get, it can get tricky to show it. 
and everyone's abilities make sense so far. So maybe it could just be like the, one of those realities of it's harder to show it in manga, but it's easier to do it animated. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really like it so far. And I'll say this too. I watched it with a, a group of people. Uh, you know, I had a couple of people with me in real life, and then we had like a group over Discord and a bunch of people all watching it together somewhat, and then around the same time otherwise and discussing it. And uh, the people that have already been into JoJo for a long time, everybody seems to like it in my circle. And the new people that hadn't seen much yet that decided to just jump in and see what JoJo was all about, um, several of them that are my friends are now watching it from the beginning. You know, because they watched like this first bit of Stone Ocean and they were like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I want to see what the rest of the show's about. So I haven't seen anyone personally have a bad response to it. And I think that there are just some people online that just want to grouse about it for various reasons. And we can't overlook the fact that, like, there's going to be some misogyny in the yeah. reception of this stuff. Like, we can't keep pretending that we just, like, don't talk about that elephant in the room anymore. Because at this point, these people are making themselves loud and obvious and in how they receive, like, every bit of culture, you know? Right. And uh, so I think uh, it shouldn't be ignored. And, and you, you, can't, you have to keep in mind that, like, of course, not everybody that is a misogynist is going to make it obvious that they're a misogynist. They're just going to shit on this season more than others for some reason. They may not even always be aware of why they do it. So... Uh, I wouldn't discount that there's a little of that going on, too, because I, I think that, like, you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily going to know how to connect with Jolene if you are coming from a certain, especially very toxic masculine kind of mindset where, like, you've been coming to JoJo for these muscle guys, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, dudes like Jotaro that are built like a truck. Um, but that's the thing, is, like, you need to have a little self-awareness to figure out, like, why do I like all these guys? And then I'm not as fascinated by this female character. What's going on here? Whereas, like, you know... <laughs> Uh, maybe it, this has to just do with, like, most of my friends are, like, at least somewhat bisexual. Right. <laughs> that they can appreciate all the parts of JoJo. And that's what I was angling at, is like, you know, JoJo's is not just queer-coded. It is... <laughs> at, at this point, it is, like, uh, a case study in, like, queer aesthetics. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. I'm also wondering, like, how much of this is internalized homophobia? You know what I... Or in, yeah, I internalized homophobia because it's like, so... Let's be clear, You, if someone w sits through all of the first five parts, now has a problem with part six, fully accepting, like, all of the homoeroticism and all the, <laughs> all the just oiled abs and, like, poses in, like, the other five parts, buddy, you're that, gay. <laughs> yeah, you, you might be gay. Um... <laughs> Uh, maybe you're a trans woman also. 
Possibly. Don't rule that out. Possibly. Uh, some tr- a trans femme of some type. If you're if you're if you're fine with all of these male protagonists, but then for some reason Jolene fills you with like a weird sense of jealous rage. <laughs> Uh, on, the, uh, on that note, though, what's your read on Jolene? Because I, I think Jolene's badass. Oh, I, I like Jolene a lot. Um, I think she has a very interesting personality already from what we've seen of her so far. And uh, I, I think that, you know, she feels like a proper Joe star. Um, and in, like, in some ways, it's just like, yeah, she's a Joe star, and it doesn't matter that she's a woman. But then on the other hand, it's not irrelevant that she's a woman. And I think that strikes a really good balance, you know, mm. um, for the most part. And uh, uh, I, just, I just like her as a character. Um, she stands out against a lot of the other JoJo's really well. And, uh, you know, she's... Uh, She's fun, and uh, also I I like that, you know. She's also she's kind of rugged, like uh, she's the type to just beat up everybody in the room to figure out who the stand user is, as we find out. And I like that, you know. Right, right. It's like what I like is the literal fact they don't hide that this is Jotaro's daughter, and she has his aspects in those ways, but not like his kind of self-hating or his kind of like more misogynistic tendencies. It's more of that, like, let's get down to business. Whose ass do I have to kick uh, type of approach to all these fights? Yeah. And that kind of quick thinking and never like showing your cards type of attitude that Jotaro has. Uh, They bring it out in her really nicely. And Jotaro is like my favorite of the male Jojo so far. Um, because he is the more brooding one of these other guys who are like, I mean, what is it? Jonathan is just like a cinnamon bun. You have Joseph, who's like a trickster. Uh, Joe's K is like a jockish, handsome guy type. And then Giorno <laughs> is Giorno's Italian, you know? (laughs) So it's like, so like Jotaro has some depth to him. And then it's like, let's, let's like run him through something not as abrasive and take that complexity and put into a, like, you know, a compelling female character. And you get, you get uh, Jolene out of that. You know what I mean? It's brilliant. Yeah. And I think um, they do a good job of showing how they are similar and different. Mm-hmm. in this first part um especially i have to say one of my other favorite things was uh when jolene is imagining what her dad is like and she doesn't remember jotaro very dopey well guy. Yeah, yeah, looks yeah. Like this dopey guy because <laughs> you know it doesn't matter how cool you are to the rest of the world uh your daughter that you abandon is gonna imagine you as some fuck up and i thought that was great it was brilliant because they could have just done like a flashback scene, but then making it like that half mind palace, half expository. That was cool. <laughs> Perfect. Um. Yeah, no, it's uh, it. She's uh, she's a great JoJo. I'm definitely interested to see where it goes, but um, she's one of my 
She's one of my top JoJo's right now, the way she's looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I was, like, biting my nails at, like, the end of it. I'm like, how are they going to do this in 10 episodes? And then, like, I realized, like, oh, this isn't it. Yeah, no, this isn't even close. It's going to be another, like, 39 episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one, probably, or something like that. It's going to be a bunch of episodes. Um, yeah, which is great. Especially because I'm excited to see so much more of so many of these characters. Um, weather Report? Can we talk about Weather Report now? <laughs> yeah, 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 go for it, go for it, go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, weather Report in like three episodes is like a top five Joe Bro already. It was only present for like two in this, in this, in what they've released so far, right? Or like two or yeah, three like episodes, two, yeah. Three episodes. Um, amazing character, amazing Stan. Just in love with all of that already. Yeah, I was not expecting to like the gang as much as I as much as I do. Like, I love Costello. I love um, Emporio. Foo Fighters is cool too. I, which is again like, Foo Fighters is one of those crazy JoJo's characters that they just like. He they're they're in the plot now, and you have to deal with it. And they're basically an alien who is now living inside the body of another prisoner. I do. Uh, yeah, I like FF. Um, weather report's awesome. <laughs> uh, I want to see more from Hermes, honestly, like a little bit. I, I right. like a start there, but it's like you definitely get the sense that, like, we'll see more of her and then we'll really feel some type of way, you know. Um, and I do like her stand, it's very fun, it's very playful, right? Right? It's uh, it is a cool ability. Like they're getting yeah. really creative with the stands this season. Yeah, really creative stands, really playful stands. Um, I really enjoy all of that. It's also kind of like part four in that way, uh, where like the stands are just like whatever. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to make sense in a fight, except it is going to make sense in a fight later. <laughs> right, right. Because you want you want it to evolve. Because part three, a lot of them were just like dudes who punch you know what i mean yeah what does your stand do um it's uh got a punch but it's a watery punch this is a fire punch this is a thunder punch basically my stand is a a rock guy (laughs) he's a big boulder dude oh my god (laughs) what do you think is the worst stand we've seen so far oh fuck uh, I wish I had watched part three more recently, honestly. I'm going to be watching it again relatively soon, and I feel like I'd be much more prepared for this question after that. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, shoot. There were some bad stands in part five, though. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? I, I'm not even sure if I'm getting this name right in the localized or non-localized version, but it's like Babyhead or whatever. That one where he makes, like, the weird baby that, like, absorbs people and then turns them into objects. Like, yeah. controls them with a laptop and shit. I was like, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I just forgot what their name was. Yeah, I'm so, I, I, I'd be like, fuck that. Honestly. <laughs> I have to control my stand with a laptop. This is dumb. 
Oh my gosh. There's nothing cool about that. Um hacker man type. Yeah. <laughs> I have the hacker stand. Oh my god. You're just like sitting on a train a million miles away typing on a laptop while the actual battle's going on. Like that's dork shit. I think that's one of the worst stands. That 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 makes sense. I I guess that's up there for me as well as like I'm trying to think, like, uh, what was the one in part three that was, like, literally the sun? And they were able to find out, like, it was with mirrors that it was, like, the stand. That was and the a guy was hiding episode, right but that is a stupid <laughs> fucking stand. <laughs> it's just, like, they start laughing uncontrollably for, like, three minutes. I'm like, what? The- Did they lose their minds? And it's like, no, look there. It's a rock. <laughs> Oh, also, oh, oh, this one probably seems obvious, but I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner. Hermit Purple sucks ass. I feel bad about Hermit Purple because that was the only way Araki could bring Hamon back into um, part three. Was that, oh, Hamon is literally just uh, Hermit Purple. But then you're telling me that all of like the guys in part one and part two have Hermit Purple as a stand? You're telling me Jonathan Joestar can use Hermit Purple? <laughs> I mean, theoretically, I think, yeah. Maybe? Well, no. No, he would have had the world. Oh, my God. <laughs> think about it. No, it makes sense. Because, like, have you heard the theory that... um? Star Platinum is Jonathan Joestar's ghost. No, that's a weird theory. It's weird? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I thought it made sense because in my mind, again, like I said, uh, Jonathan, the world is really Jonathan's stand, at least in some ways. <clears throat> or like yeah. And stand he would have had. Oh my gosh. Um, because it's all this Joestar blood that unlocks these stands originally. None of them are pierced by the arrow in part three um, of the initial heroes or anything. Yeah. None of the Joestars in general. But it's like all of these Joestars are having these stand powers awakened because Dio figured it out. But still, what did Dio figure out? He figured out how to unlock a stand power that, again, would have at least been somewhat jonathan's like yeah you could argue that like it might be some kind of merger of their personalities or aspects in some ways that produce this stand but still i think that jonathan would have had the world so i think that that just to me cleanly explains jotaro's stand like how is jotaro able to also use the world it's not just plot convenience this is his legacy makes sense Kind of explain. I mean, they're they're all Jack dudes. The oldest <laughs> ones are basically Jack dudes that season. So I can't even say. You know that makes that makes sense why they look alike. It's like they all look alike. Don't, I can't I can't go that route. Um, back to Stone Ocean though. Uh, what do you make of Poochie so far? Um, fine. <laughs> Just fine. It's fine. I don't know. I'll definitely say his theme is kind of underwhelming. Like, I was expecting something, especially after Diavolo in Part 5 and how menacing and, like, voracious. I don't have a better word for how he he was with 
undermining the protagonist. Poochie's um, just over here, like, in the background. He's okay. I, I like I like his motivation. Like, mm-hmm. I like the idea of, you know, him being yet another weird consequence of, like, the long-running Joestar Dio feud. And, like, his reasoning makes sense once you learn it. You're like, ah, right. yes, actually, he would be willing to kill over this. Um, because he was gay for Dio. <laughs> Who wouldn't be? I mean, even Abdul was. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, what does he say? He, that description when he describes Dio for the, the first time, and he's talking about meeting him near his shop, and Dio, like... It was the most bisexual thing he's like, I he's read. Like, he's like, Dio was unusually seductive for a man or something like he was like okay buddy his demeanor was like that of a woman he was so beautiful and yet so frightening if that ain't the gayest shit um but no like he really thought that dia would be able to to teach him the greatest secrets that he sought in life um aside from the gay shit and and so once you learn all of that backstory and see it all, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that actually this this does kind of fit. He would be he would be willing to go to great lengths, um, over this and uh, all that. I think the biggest issue I had was honestly just seeing a little too much of him too fast because he's not the most exciting character. And uh, at first, when it was just kind of like. We don't know who White Snake's user is. I was just like, "Oh fuck, okay." Like they could hold this over my head for a while, and I'd be okay with it, honestly. <laughs> um, so you would have rather seen him so- later than sooner. I think so because he's just a little bit underwhelming. The more you see of him, like. It's already starting to feel to me like the main fear is just that we don't know who he is technically. You know, the, the or at least the characters don't know who he is. Um, but like if they figure out who he is, how hard is it going to be to beat this guy's ass? Cuz like neither his stand nor his persona seem deeply intimidating in the kind of way of some other villains. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see what happens because I, I don't want to spoil because I know a couple things that happened in the manga, but um, I'm I'm sure he'll manage to punch it up a little bit, but I I don't think he's going to be a favorite villain. I'll say that much. Yeah, ba- based on what we've seen so far, he's definitely pulling his punches. Yeah, that makes sense. I just think it's just I don't know. It's it's a far cry from, like, in part three, for instance, or even part one to some extent, um, the ways in which we would see Dio just, like, doing depraved, awful shit <laughs> when we would, like, cut to him for a minute just to remind us that, like, oh, this guy sucks so much. Um, I, I, you don't really get that with Poochie. It's like he's this, like, subtle villain who's like, yeah, I'm sneaking around in the prison. And, like... I don't know. Uh, I'll probably rank him above Yoshikage Kira, who's my worst villain. <laughs> I see. I mean, for me, like, I don't hate Poochie too much because 
in the context of like the conspiracy in Jolene's life you know, that like got her in prison. I guess it makes sense like from a dramatic irony standpoint for us as the audience to know who he is while the characters don't. But you're right, it can be overwhelming. I mean sorry, underwhelming. Oh my god. It's underwhelming the way they they went out about it. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe they can punch it up. What what makes Yoshikage Kira your worst villain out of curiosity? Uh it's just the setup. It's not like him himself. He's fine once you like really like dive in. Um although I do have some issues with him specifically because like he's not the most inspired villain first of all. Um, second of all, he doesn't tie into the plot as well as most of the villains. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like all the other villains tie directly into our understanding of this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoshikage Kira does not like ultimately once he dies, like he's irrelevant. That, that makes sense. Um, um and also, Killer Queen just, like, develops new powers whenever it needs to. And that gets a little plot device <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, make, that, that makes sense. That, that does make sense. But mostly, I, it's the setup. It's the setup. If Yoshikage Kira had been set up correctly, I could maybe buy it better. The issue is just that we don't even, like, get to know him until halfway through that season. And by that point, like, by the time he gets introduced, I'm almost like, I don't care anymore. You could have just kept doing beach episodes. Here's my idea of how they could have made it work. Because you know how, like, uh, Okuyasu's dad was, like, one of Dio's former minions? Yeah. They could have, like, come up with some horrible link of, like, the minion got the arrow to Kira somehow. Or was stolen from him somehow, or what, whatever the case may have been. But that was a link that existed that they could have used to maybe set him up better. Who knows, though? <laughs> it, it seems like there were plenty of options, and especially it's a season that has a lot to do with the Joestar family. Mm-hmm. And like where it's been, and where it's going, and what it's becoming. And uh, that made it even more lackluster, where it's, like, it's rich with all of this, like, familial history stuff in a lot of ways. Right. And then it's very lacking in the villain department, so. But I still like Part 4. Yeah, and at least Part 4 had, like, the enemy of the week type setup with their own, like, intimidating abilities and stuff. So at least, like, if Kira's lacking, you had someone else who could pick up the slack that episode. But it's not like part three or part five where like there's a boss in the background doing heinous shit and they have an army of people they send out each episode. Yeah, and I, I don't think a show needs a strong heinous villain to be great necessarily. Like mm-hmm. I, this doesn't necessarily make part four terrible, but Yoshikage Kira, very forgettable compared to the other villains. Like if we are stacking them up on villain cred, well... <laughs> So who's your top villain? Um, this is actually so tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Cars. Cars? Yeah, Cars is stronger than Dio, period. <laughs> yeah, also Cars is just, like, cool. Like, 
Cars had like so much swagger, and I know Dio had a fair bit of swagger, but also you knew that underneath that swagger, Dio had a lot of insecurity that he was like always trying to hide and make up for. But I don't think Cars had insecurity. I don't think Cars was capable of feeling bad about himself. No, he was fabulous. I mean, <laughs> like... they, as soon as they got unfrozen from the stone, they're out there hitting poses and shit. Like the pillar yeah. man knew it was up. <laughs> He just gets unfrozen and hits the dab immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like just starts his plan for world domination. Fair enough. He was about his business. Um yeah, I, just, I really like Cars a lot. And I also I felt like Cars had a very coherent arc as a main villain that was super easy to follow. Um so there was nothing confusing there. And uh, it didn't also overwhelm the story, though. Like, we didn't need to see 10,000 hours of cars, and we didn't. Yeah. The, the so, one final yeah. battle with him was fulfilling enough as it needed to be. Yeah, and we got these little glimpses into cars, and it gave us just enough to kind of, like, get an idea of who he was. But also, he was very mysterious, and that worked well. It was fine. <clears throat> so I think cars was really great. Um, I will say that uh, Diavolo is pretty good too, but I think Cars still wins. But Diavolo certainly is like the most interesting, complex villain. Cars is pretty simple. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not anything particularly special to understand about Cars. He's not motivated by some secret childhood trauma. Um. Uh, Diavolo very much is exactly right. that. <laughs> um, but in terms of like a lot of the villains have that some somewhat of that in JoJo, I thought Diavolo was pretty cool. Okay. Too. So I assume we're talking like main villains. Makes sense. So yeah. Uh yeah, cars is awesome. Part two's good. <laughs> part two's good. The only thing that gets me about part two was like the weird Nazi arc, which I get like in hindsight was probably just meant to be campy and ridiculous and you weren't supposed to read too deep into it. But I, when I was watching JoJo's for the first time and the Nazis showed up, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I think what is going on here I think in the context of like the early parts were written a relatively long time ago. Mm -hmm. And, like, at that time, Nazis in media were considered, like, a sort of non-threatening thing that you could poke fun at. Yeah. And I think, like, that's what we really see here, because it's certainly not like the Nazis really get particularly good treatment, but at the same time, the treatment is a little soft. Yeah. Um, because... I don't, I think, again, in the time that Iraqi was writing it, I think to him, it, it seemed like the kind of thing that didn't need to be said. Like, you didn't need to point out that these guys are bad. Right? Right. Um, and a lot of media from, like, the 80s, 90s is kind of like that. Um, and, uh... I don't think that forgives it entirely, but it does make it like palatable to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like uh, he was kinda... he, he was trying to critique it still, just he wouldn't he would have critiqued it a lot harder had he had the 
the viewpoints of today, probably. And I think that's obvious as you see, like, the way cops get presented over time or things like that. Yeah, I mean, part two was brilliant. I mean, you had uh, Joseph saving a kid from the cops. Um, I mean, Joseph, Joseph is definitely, like, um, as righteous as Jonathan without, like, the self-importance or, like, the kind of just serious affect. So, I mean, yeah. that, that spot where he, like, he basically beat up a cop with, Coca- with Coca-Cola, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, yeah, I mean, in part two, it's, like, overall there is this moral of like, yeah, the Nazis did this, basically. <laughs> they caused this problem. And I think, like... <clears throat> True, the Nazis in, did unleash the Pillar Man. <laughs> I think that, like, that narrative was kind of supposed to carry the weight of, like, reminding you that they're bad. Like, they unleashed the Pillar Man. That should be enough proof in some ways, except that now we live in this time where, like, our modern... Uh, sensibility and i agree with this by the way i'm not like critiquing the way we look at things now um i look at it this way too um our modern sensibility would say let's be a little bit harder in our critique and a little bit more obvious in our critique just to make it really clear where we stand Mm -hmm. um like if you're reading it carefully then it's really obvious again well the nazis released the pillar man (laughs) so right That's that's terrible. <laughs> and the fact that there's this one dude, Von Stroheim, who gets like a tiny bit of redeemment doesn't mean very much, you know? And he's also like, I, I guess I have to take it in the context of like this was when like you could have pop culture characters, you know what I mean? Where like they're just stock characters who are meant to be ridiculous. And Stroheim's whole thing is being ridiculous. Like, doesn't he like pelvic thrust a machine gun at some point he does some shit like that yeah he's very ridiculous he he does not seem like a very a character you're supposed to take very seriously or look up to as a role model in particular he has a couple of heroic moments that make you uh somewhat sympathetic to him in spite of who he is otherwise but still like he just barely rises above the level of like the rest of the nazis that we see are just largely sacrificed to the gods of death, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and, and like Von Stroheim just barely makes it, proves himself good enough to be spared. Um, that kind of trope, like if, again, go back and watch action movies from the eighties mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you'll see this sort of thing all the time where like, Oh, here's the bad guys. But actually one of the bad guys is kind of redeemable. And sometimes even with Nazis, like, you see this in some James Bond movies, right? And shit like that. So, um, uh, because, again, their perception was, like, we don't really have to explain that the Nazis are bad. So, like, we can just use them as, like, the generic bad guy backdrop without a lot of explanation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And without a lot of, like, care for, like, how we do it or what the critique is. Um... And, like, obviously we know that not all Germans are completely horrible people, especially now. Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think that you can see how, especially in the context of a time where fascism felt a little less present and scary um, for a lot of people, 
um, especially white folks, let's be real, but, uh, uh, you know, just less present in American society in general to a large extent. Um, I think you can see how people might want to try to tell stories where it's like, oh, yeah, remember, like, yes, this movement of Nazism was bad, but, like, people could still realize that it was bad um, because, like, these people are not, like, beyond redemption as, like, a, a, a group somehow. Right? Yeah, like, yeah because we already knew they were bad. Good. Yeah. So you could just make them nice, like, you know, campy characters. Because if you yeah. know they're bad up front, you could, it's easy to do that. Yeah, and so then, like I say, if you're trying to kind of even present a little bit of, like, German redemption, you could see how this would make sense in some people's minds in some Especially context. that time, because it was the 80s when they wrote that arc, right? So, yeah, it makes sense in that time. Yeah, like, he's, he's kind of trying to take, like, a slightly nuanced take that would have made some sense in its time. It makes a little less sense now. I can mostly forgive it. It's a little awkward. That's how I read it. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's a series marked by awkwardness and, like, sudden changes, which is one thing I can appreciate about JoJo's. Is like, this is one of those cases where the artists did exactly as they pleased. No yeah. team of editors had any say in how this went. If Araki decides, nah, fuck it, I'm just, we're moving from bears to twinks. So be it. So be it. <laughs> and he doesn't reference it again. He's definitely being, he's trying to be referential to the important some of the important historical things that were going on mm -hmm. you also have to remember that like you know i mean he does live in japan and that like the history of fascism is a little more complex there and that this right. may have been more subversive in his place and time than in ours absolutely because i i remember reading something about the initial reception of jojo's where him not having a Japanese protagonist in a shonen manga was actually unheard of. So he, JoJo's is always breaking trends in manga, as far as I've been reading about it. Yeah, in making it as gay as it is, in like having <laughs> non-Japanese characters in the in the forefront, in this kind of eclectic, it's it's really an eclectic style of making a manga. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely unique in that sense, and I mean, I think that's why, like, well, and the music too—that's a big part of the and the fashion and like, there's a lot of culture, right? It's like everything at once, and I think that's why, like, I, I know you mentioned this like in a DM, but it's like being the friend who tells everyone to get on JoJo's. <laughs> it's because it's like it's all this stuff at once. It's like the aesthetics, the posing, these like clever musical references. And the, I mean, like the, the yeah, and it's a big part of what makes it appealing, but it's very hard to describe, right? Um, right, because it feels between like the different aspects of like all of the cultural references, and then like the actually pretty good storytelling, and then the always pretty good action for the most part, and all of this stuff, and like the the human like like character stuff that like can actually get pretty deep and moving once people start watching it it's actually not that hard to keep people watching it usually right right but how do you describe it to them 
Uh, and I will say, recently I saw this, like, it was like a YouTube video where it was, like, clips of JoJo with no context. And it was just, like, some of the most, like, absurd, like, insane, hard-to-explain, like, you know, seven-second, five-second, ten-second clip-type things. <laughs> and it's, like, it's, like, uh, Giorno spitting out the fingers of the dead person on the airplane. Like... <laughs> Uh, Baron Zeppeli like punching the frog, but the Hemon passing harmlessly through it and splitting the rock underneath. You know, like this stuff that like if you just see it out of context, even if you know the show, you're just like, God, this is weird. You know, and like I feel like that's like trying to describe the show to someone and get them into it is just like showing them that is it, it's like you're just like throwing all this shit at them and they're just gonna be like, What the fuck are you talking about? It's in the title. It's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Like, y'all see all this weird stuff, and it's like, I mean, they did give us a heads up. It was bizarre. I think people just, they don't expect things to live up to the title like that, you know? Right. Like, usually when you when you go out of your way to put, like, oh, this is weirdo time in your title, that means that it's, like, actually just, like, <laughs> some, like, mildly edgy, like, normie shit, you know? Um... <laughs> But, like, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is legitimately weird. <clears throat> it's actually strange. Um, and uh, it manages to be strange even, like, after you've seen a lot of it, you know, when you watch more, it's like, well, this is strange in a different way. Okay. <laughs> Didn't expect that. <laughs> that, and, like, it's... It's a kind of show where, like, it's surprising how much of, like, yourself or even your own ideas you can project onto it. And I kind of see that with some of the musical references. Because mm -hmm. I thought, like, some of the musical references were just, like, oh, it's just a song he liked and he put it up front. But now I'm actually being a little more in-depth with it. I'm, like, trying to figure out if Araki's experience of how he interpreted the music interprets the stand. Because uh, I I decided to listen to King Crimson after part five, and I, <laughs> I actually I have uh, in the court of the Crimson King on vinyl now. So <laughs> I really I really got big into their music after that. But um, the thing about um, Diablo's arc of him like having like two personalities. It's a clear reference to 21st century schizoid man. Oh, yeah. Uh, right, or, right, right, right. Or and even like a... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The art of the using of the stand is so intentionally, like, classically psychedelic. Right, right. You know? Like, it's a face within a face. But also, like, the whole world, like, peels away... And we're in fucking space, and there's Jupiter next to your head, or what? You know, like right, right. And like, I I forget which album art it is. Oh no, it is it is the regular album art for it. But it's like it's this horrified face and like reflections of the face on the album art. But like when Giorno um uses uh Golden Experience Requiem on him, and he's like, "What is this? What is this? What is this?" And it's just like him reflecting onto himself infinitely. Oh yeah. I'm like he's referencing the, the album what art. The, what the what yeah. the what the what the <laughs> Or even like um the way like his uh 
his ability works. I, I can actually explain how uh, King Crimson works. Everyone says they're confused about it. No, it's very fucking simple. Yeah, I he get just it. accelerates through time and then gets rid of what he like skipped through. But that's literally how a reference to how in 21st century schizoid man, there's just a whole part of the song that's just like filler. And then they get back to where they left off on the on the chorus. I think what confuses people about Emperor Crimson is that because he really does delete time, they also think that 100% of what he sees in his visions are accurate. But it's actually not quite that straightforward. Right. I think that's where people get confused the most with how his power works. Because it's like, well, if he is actually literally deleting time, then surely his vision of the future must always be 100% accurate. And it's like, well... Well, and we even see it work to his advantage. Because in the Dopio fight with Risotto, yeah, yeah, he envisions things being worse than they are, but then he turns it around. Right. Um, and uh, so the visions are like pretty reliable, but not 100%, and that can be good or bad. <laughs> uh, I think that's the most confusing part. I'll tell you what, Stan, I don't understand at all, though. Golden Experience Requiem... I don't know what that did to Diablo. <laughs> well, well, the, the, and that's what I'm I saying mean, I, is like... I vaguely understand that like, yes, it trapped him in like this time loop thing. But also like, what? Huh? <laughs> You're not talking about a stand that doesn't make sense. Well, the worst part was like the stand started speaking and it's like, Jorno doesn't know I'm talking. I'm the one doing this. I'm like, wait, what? And it's like the stand tells Diablo, like, you're going to be trapped here forever. And the stand is also like, no one can understand what happened here, basically. And then just right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and at least I was like, well, okay, I'm not met. Okay, like, I, I don't know how I feel about that 100%, but at least the confirmation that I'm not meant to understand makes me feel better. <laughs> Which is the funny thing about part five is just like, Araki writes himself and then writes himself out of several corners. <laughs> and on the one hand, people would be like, but if you had an editor that I'm like, no, I want to see how he gets himself out of this mess. <laughs> I want to see this. <laughs> and he did it. Yeah. Jorno became the capo. Yeah. Yeah. It made that, a lot of sense. It, it made a lot of sense. Also, I, I guess now we're just going to get into like the lightning round of like favorite character from this part. Yes, but part <laughs> five, who's your favorite member of the squad? Oh God. So tough. Um, I'm a huge Bucciarati fan. It's really hard Hell yeah. to deviate from that at all. But I will say that Mista really won me over as well. Surprisingly compelling character. Surprisingly complex. Um, and, uh, it's liked a lot of things about him. Uh, Bruno, though, is just like, first of all, Bucciarati's got so much swagger. So much. The bob cut, the lace bra, the white suit. Second of all, Bucciarati... Being at Olive Garden? Bucciarati is non-binary. Has um, to be. So, okay, have you heard my theory on this? I recall you saying it on VBS, but do you want to tell the listeners? 
Okay. So I, I don't want the listeners to miss out on this. <laughs> so uh, when they're on the train and they're heading to uh, Florence, I think, on the train. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they're in the turtle. The one brother uses Grateful Dead, and he has it tweaked so that it's going to age men faster than women. Mm-hmm. And what we learn is that this is because of body temperature, and so the secret is to cool yourself down to resist the stand, and that's ends up being an important factor in winning the fight. Mm-hmm. So I, I've gone back and checked this a couple of times to make sure. <laughs> so uh, Mista doesn't age as fast as most of the crew, nor does Bruno, nor does Trish. And so they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Giorno is still able to help them deduce it a little bit, even though he's in old man form. Yeah, Giorno got ran through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Giorno really takes some of the worst beatings of any JoJo. That's true. <laughs> but he, he also got the seven-page Muda, so... Yeah, the seven-page Muda. What a... <laughs> yeah, damn. What a hurt. What a hurt down to lay on somebody. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so they note, okay, so Trish, Mista, and Bruno aged the slowest, and then they go, oh, Mista and Trish were drinking cold drinks. They don't explain why Bucciarati aged slower. And this is before he died. This is before he died. Because that's really important. Because if it was after that, you might be like, well, this is the first hint of that or something like that. No, 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 no. This is before all that. So they do not explain why Bruno Bucciarati is aging slower at all. And my theory is just... So they them that you're looking at there. <laughs> you should have been able buy to buy it. I buy it. <laughs> I, it makes perfect sense to me. It makes perfect sense. Um, so yeah, I claim Bucciarati. <laughs> I, I would say Bucciarati also just makes the most sense from a narrative standpoint, too, of like why he's the best. Now I want to say they, <laughs> even though he would probably Once use Once I had the realization, and actually all a bunch of my friends felt the same way, I was like, I just kind of want to start saying they now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because <'cause>, like <laughs> what it is with them is like, they they actually okay now by they i mean the show but what i like about how araki handled uh how they portray bruno is that everyone in his squad or in their squad has a reason to be loyal to them and we see that in everyone's backstory we see that in how everyone meets him at the restaurant all the time Mm -hmm. and even like at the last episode there's that story of like the uh person who comes to them asking for like help investigating a murder and then he's there cross his legs and i'm like no this is a legit mafia story bruno is a capo bruno is a full-ass non-binary gangster it can happen in our lifetimes folks yeah this is the most representation i have wanted in my life that we will get in our <laughs> lives and it's it's brilliant it's amazing uh 
Yeah, you know, I I really relate to a lot of things about Bucciarati. And uh, just definitely, as much as I want to give like the credit to someone else, especially Mista, Bucciarati is definitely my favorite member of the gang. For sure. Easily. And that was a gang of like solid, solid players. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, Abakio, all good characters. Abakio was no one to sneeze at. Uh, Narancia was, was, you know, loyal in a pinch. Mista, the shooter for life. Jorno was, of course. Oh, yeah. Jorno never complained. That's what I liked about him, actually. It's just he was like, okay, I guess I got to beat somebody's ass now. Yeah, Jorno had this very patient attitude towards his quest compared to all the other JoJo's. Yeah, Joe's K was like, why do I have to deal with this today? Yeah. Um, and like both Jonathan and Joseph had this attitude of like, what? I've really got to train Hamon. I've got to do all this fucking training. What? <laughs> like, um, Jotaro was just like, I'm doing this because I love my moms. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love my mom, but I'll never tell anyone I do. <laughs> yeah, but also when she waves at me at school, I flip her off. <laughs> Joe I remember literally had no choice. Oh my god. And so, and frequently expresses some of that, like... <clears throat> Frustration of just being thrust into this. Completely against her will, basically. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But Giorno? Giorno's just like... I'm all about this Destiny shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Giorno's like LeBron <laughs> in the gym, like, throwing free throws for eight hours straight to get ready for a game and you're just like do you need a break nah no he was said he was like i'm going to become a gang star and then guess what he became a gang star yeah like giorno is like he's like got a mood board up he just like <laughs> pins up goals and then just like takes them down because they're done <laughs> Yeah, everyone over here with the entrepreneur mindset, Sigma grind set. No, 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 that's bullshit. 2022, we're going into this with Giorno mindset. Yeah, the Giorno grind set. <laughs> okay. What, what do you think of Koichi showing up in part five? Like, is, is he really Jotaro's most reliable guy? Um... I thought it made sense that Koichi would end up working for the Speedwagon Foundation. Like, I thought that was a really believable thing, honestly. Like, yeah. maybe Koichi's not the most reliable guy ever. Um, but also, like, you know, he is, like, he's pretty good in a pinch. He's pretty level-headed. He really is a reliable guy, I guess. He actually is, like, I think he's more level-headed than people give him credit for. Because, yeah. like, he can be very emotionally expressive. But that's not the same thing as having your shit together. Or not. Um, and so Koichi expresses a lot of his emotions 
really loudly and profoundly and sometimes even embarrassingly. Right. But he's also actually, like, a lot of times when things are very critically serious, he's a little bit more level-headed than the people around him. Great example is when he and uh, uh, Kinshibe, the manga artist, yeah, uh, are, like, they find the portal to the ghost world for the first time in that alleyway. Mm-hmm. Kinshibe, if he had been there alone, probably would not make it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Koichi mostly keeps it together in there. And, like, that's critical for them actually getting back out of the ghost world. And even if Koichi gets used as, like, the helpless prop towards the end of that arc, you can't deny that, like, overall, the decision-making that gets them out of that situation is Koichi's. And actually, uh, Rohan is just, like, mentally flailing a lot. Yeah, I mean, Rohan is just a bratty bottom at the end of the day, if we're being quite honest with ourselves. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah, what else you got in the lightning round? In the lightning round? Okay. Yeah, Yeah, because we are are an hour, so let's... uh... Let's hit a few more things, because it's For sure. For sure. <laughs> okay, I guess let's start here. What's your favorite uh, music reference in JoJo's? Mm, um, you know, uh, I have to say in part five, I was a big fan of Spice Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I, li- I actually thought that the, the, the localization was very funny. Spicy lady! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, and uh, I just thought that was a fun reference to see included. I also, in that part, uh, I I really liked seeing uh, Notorious Big. I'm I'm a Biggie fan, and so uh, that was like a fun one to see. And that was an interesting one because you talked about earlier, like, is it just like a random reference or is it more meaningful? Like, well, I mean, that one, it's like a stand about having something that go goes on after death right right that actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it from the perspective of someone who whose career has had really long legs after his unfortunate very tragic death right um so uh uh, i thought that was a, a really good one also um and then uh yeah, I don't know. I'm a really big fan of Weather Report. Just everything about it, including the music reference, is funny to me. Yeah, weather <laughs> Report's cool. I, I know I mentioned King Crimson earlier, but I think, honestly, Dio as a whole. Everything about Dio with, with like the references to like James Dio and then mm. the stand for the world being a holy diver. And just that one lyric of Holy Diver where it's like, you've been gone too long in the midnight sea. And I'm like, yeah, no, he was literally at the bottom of the ocean for like 100 yeah. years or something. Yeah. Yeah, it really seems like he tries to work the references in in a meaningful way with a lot of this stuff. Oh, and of course, we can't, we can't forget before we move on to the next category. Good old Robert E.O. Speedwagon. That one will always make me laugh. Best character. 10 out of 10. 
10 out of 10. <laughs> but like the one where like Stro- Stroheim like is gargling his mouth is like speed wagon. And I'm like, I don't know what it was about that scene that I howling. <laughs> Best character. 10 out of 10. Just every time, every time I'm showing someone JoJo's Bizarre Adventure for the first time. Part one is always, that's the worst part about being the friend that gets people into JoJo's is having to watch part one a million times. Um, and uh, <laughs> part one, especially, it just starts so slow. But around the time that uh, Robert EO Speedwagon introduces himself, it's like starting to pick up the pace a little bit. And I just, everybody I ever show that to, when he introduces himself, they're like, what, really? And they always, like, I, that hooks people every time. <laughs> Oh my god, the hat and everything, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And especially because that season, the music is so, like, 70s psychedelic jam band. All like, the references, yeah, yeah. I mean, it has, like, actual, like, the references and stuff, but I mean, like, the soundtrack for that season, too. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like, it sounds like a... Like, if you pick up, like, a Yes live recording vinyl, you know, and they're just right. fucking obviously just stoned out of their minds and jamming like crazy towards the end. Like, that's what a lot of, like, part one music sounds like. It's just, like, that over-the-top organ and, like, punchy guitar weirdness and all that. It's just, like, <laughs> really funny. And so I think in the context of that, those references really hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah especially because it's not until like uh stardust crusaders that we get the mu- the soundtracks that are like oh they're grooving oh yeah. i still think jotaro has the best theme out of all the jojos so far but good theme. i'm 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 really feeling i'm really feeling jolene's i am feeling jolene's theme every time she kicks ass yeah also good okay next question Favorite gay moment in JoJo's? The gayest moment? Well, okay, I do have to highlight... So, in Part 5, there are two characters that are supposed to be gay. Yeah. Canonically. And uh, when I was watching that with one of my partners, I had to point out to her that they're supposed to be gay. Because... (laughs) <laughs> how are you supposed to know in the show especially everything else with this show where you just have like dude on dude action there's this one part towards the end where Giorno and Musta like combine their stands at one point and they're it's like, like they, they're hugging each other while holding a gun you know what I mean <laughs> like, yeah, no they're just like they just it looks like a picture that you take at the club with your boyfriend right right <laughs> <laughs> Like, hand on Mista's hip, you know, right. the ass. Just, like, no no ambiguity about it. <laughs> so, when you're, when you're faced with things like that, how are you supposed to tell? Uh, so, I thought that was very funny. That's, <laughs> like, a... Um, a... A... A, <laughs> a, a thing to highlight it's just like there are these characters that are supposed to be gay in part five but you can barely tell because they're only touching each other 10 percent more than what is normal especially with like how flamboyant everyone's outfit is too it's like oh yeah it's especially difficult to discern but like you had um the two characters 
just on each other, almost about to make out while discussing their plan to kill Narancia, I think. It's like, no, no, they're gay. They're gay. I promise. And it's like, but this happens all the time. Like, 10 minutes later, Abakio and uh, (laughs) Bucciarati are going to be like two inches away from each other having a serious conversation looking like they're about to make out, you know? Right, right. (laughs) I I still think in terms of like top moments, that one where um, Jono and Mista are like, really holding each other close to like fire that gun that counts yeah that's i think the one where he was like healing mista on the on the docks and then narancia pops by and thinks that like (laughs) jorno is sucking mista off that that one was hilarious but i think you know top moment was uh when they were fighting um mariah in egypt in in uh stardust crusaders and it's Joseph and Abdul. Somehow they get magnetized to each other. And just Joseph goes flying into Abdul's ass. <laughs> and I remember watching that. And my partner came in at like the right moment when like it hits. And it just explodes into like that anime thing of like hearts. And like there's like that weird sentence that's like, ah, that's what it translates to. <laughs> and she's just like, what are you watching? And I'm like, <laughs> Just, 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 just sit down and watch. How about that? Uh, I also want to highlight at the very beginning of part three, um, when Jotaro gets hurt uh, by Kakyoin while Kakyoin is under Dio's control uh, on his way to school, he goes to the nurse's office and uh, the nurse is like, oh, we're going to have to cut your pants to deal with this wound. Oh my god! And yeah, Jot- yeah, yeah. Jotaro stands up. He's like, you are not doing that she's like but we need to treat the wound he's like no no that's fine but i'm taking my pants off these you cannot cut these pants they're too good and and first of all as a fashion gay i relate to that but even if you needed more proof that that scene is gay it's the sheer lack of discomfort that jotaro has getting uh partially undressed around the hot school nurse Right, right. Any anyone who has any amount of attraction to women has had an experience with the hot school nurse if you had one. Okay? If you didn't have one, you didn't have one. But if you had one at any school, then everybody everybody would have a story about that. Even, like, you know, the people that are just barely leaning bisexual would have some story where it's like the hot school nurse put a Band-Aid on them and they were like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Jotaro's like... Um, and Jotaro's just like, totally fine extremely extremely comfortable like but he's worried about the pants so that scene i feel is like that's some peak gay shit i mean absolutely and like the the start of that episode too was like he's getting mobbed by like girls from his school and they're like i want to date him no i'm gonna date him and then he does that usual thing of like shut up you're annoying and they're just like okay but they still continue following him. <laughs> and it's like, is he misogynist? Or is he just like so deep in the closet he doesn't want anyone to know? Uh, probably the latter. That's what it seems like to me. <laughs> this is Japan. And just how much repressed anger he has in all those fights. Pretty gay. It's kind of gay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Moving down the list. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I am. <laughs> my brain is fried. It's December folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. We're just talking about Jojo. One of the greatest shows ever made in all of history. Yeah, how bad can it be? We're talking about yeah. Jojo's. Um, <laughs> I recall on Velvet Butcher Shop, you said your favorite Joe Bro was Mista. Does that still hold up? Um, yeah, well, especially because I don't know how to categorize Bucciarati. Like, is he a Joe bro? He kind or is of he the is team like, leader? Yeah, yeah, he's kind of almost elevated above that in some ways. Like, Giorno really looks up to Bucciarati a lot. And so, if anything, like, he's kind of the team leader slash mentor in a way. Like, is Joseph a Joe bro in part three? I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Right? Like, <laughs> like, Joseph and uh, Bruno occupy the same spot in that hierarchy. Yeah. Or even the so- same way that, like, uh, Jotaro... Right, Joe Turo in part four. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know if I consider Bucciarati a Joe bro. If you consider Bucciarati a Joe bro, well, then they win. Oh, um, uh, a lot. But also, I will say another hot contender for me right now is definitely Weather Report. I'm all about this. I'm all about this, dude. <laughs> the way he's used is so weird and quirky, but then, like, as you get to know him, it's like uh, the quirkiness starts to kind of fit together in this way that feels like he's not just some complete whack job. Right. You know? Like, he's he's just got these quirks, but he's like this very reasonable character in a lot of respects. Um, his, his stand is awesome. Um, and his resolve to get the mission done is impressive in just the few ep- episodes that you see of him. Uh, so great, Joe, bro. I mean, like that's the kind of guy that you want at your side if you're on a a Joe Star family quest type situation. Makes total sense. My gut is saying Okuyasu. <laughs> he is a. It's hard for me to put him in in as like the best, but he's definitely up there in terms of being a great Joe bro. Um, very and, fun character. And honestly, all the Crusaders, you know what I mean? Like, because it was all dudes in that group. Like, but especially props to Polnareff. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Polnareff and Jotaro, but also Avdol, but also Kakuin. Uh, Avdol gets his moments. I think, like you don't see enough of him for sure. Yeah, he he he's missing for a a big enough part of the the story that it's like hard to say that he was the best from that part. You know, just for that reason. Um, whereas like Polnareff really throws down a lot. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and like he and has a comparable story to Jotaro in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, he comes back. He comes back in a cool way. Yeah, yeah. So that's also like even more credit to Polnareff that he got to come back in this really awesome way. Now gets to be a turtle. Now he's a turtle. Fuck yeah, dude. That's growth. That's growth. We love to see it, folks. Personal growth. That was an ominous little ending, too, because he was like, yeah, I think I'll be able to keep my spirit in this turtle for a while. I don't know exactly how long. Oh my! Yeah, they just ended part five on a cliffhanger. Just like, 
It's just like he's a gang star now. Okay, what happens to Paul Ref? Nothing. What happens to Mista? We don't know. What happens to Trish? We don't know. Yeah, part five ended very ambiguously in a lot of ways. I have some mixed feelings about some of that, but you know. I'll send you the part five if everyone lived uh ending <laughs> just so just so you can feel better uh <laughs> i it, it wasn't so much the death that i minded was ju- it was just like the weird like lack of wrapping a lot of shit up at all and then like that cutting back to the old mystery thing was just like n- no <laughs> yeah yeah not that also... i minded that story but just we should have gotten that a few episodes before, mm-hmm. like uh, at like in the lead up to the end, and it would help kind of close the door on Bucciarati's story, as his mm-hmm. body is laying there, obviously done for. Right. Um. And then a little bit more of a proper ending, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> makes total sense to me. Um. Let's see, moving on in my list. Favorite stand. So tough. I mean, uh, so many good ones. Um, I think like there are a lot of obvious choices, and I do like a lot of the obvious choices. But also, I, I want to highlight a little bit of an underdog here. This isn't necessarily my absolute favorite, but I thought the Oingo Boingo comic book stand. Oh fuck yeah! Um, is very underrated <laughs> and deserves. I think that's cooler than uh, Rohan Kinshibe's "Open Your Face" bullshit, right? Um, for a similar effect, personally, and I especially love the the like weird bad art style of the comics. Right, right. Um, that was very imaginative and fun. Um. That is a really great stand. I'll also, uh, though, have to draw attention back to Weather Report once again. His stand is amazing. It is. It is. Um, And especially, like, the moment where he uses his power, which, if you're not familiar yet, is, like, he. if you couldn't guess, it is, like, a weather control type of stand. Um, But it's very specific to, like, kind of air current-y type stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. when he used that to superheat the air by making it really dense around the guy's fists and lighting them on fire, I was like, wow, this stand, this stand is going places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, like, the first things that you see him do is, like, make it rain and shit. And you're like, okay, I expected the stand to be able to do that. You know, but then it's like he's lighting this dude on fire, then he's making spacesuits, like... <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, very impressive... Very cool stand. Um, I will also uh, give some love to uh, Crazy Diamond. Oh, yeah. I thought that that was a very imaginative um, stand with the, like, being able to, like, sort of, like, revert things back to their original forms or, in some cases, also, like, undo that same reversion. Like, we see him... Uh, he's about to get into a car accident on his motorcycle, and he just takes it apart, goes flying around the, yeah, yeah. the person, and then puts it back together. Um, that's cool as hell. Plus, it's a healing stand, and I'm partial for the healing stands, because, hmm. like, uh, 
there's this very empathetic part of me that's just like, what's better than being able to just instantly heal someone from a a wound that would otherwise kill them? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, that's definitely why I'm partial to Crazy Diamond and Gold Experience. Um, but I just wanted to say it to be controversial. Moody Blues. Good stand. Good stand. Um, I'm so nosy. I want to know what happened. <laughs> That's one of those ones, like, I know that we're starting to get a little bit more into, like, spinoffs in some of the manga, and that also some of those spinoffs are supposed to be slated to become anime. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance, we're supposed to be getting, I don't understand how this is supposed to work exactly, but I want to see it desperately. Uh, the Josuke Whole Horse spinoff, do you know about this? I've heard very little about it on, like, the JoJo subreddit. Yeah, I, so this I know, is... yeah, go ahead, go ahead. This is going to be the first instance of a of a JoJo written um uh primarily not by Araki. He's had other writers collaborate with him a little bit, mm-hmm. but like this one's going to be have another head writer. And he's approved of it and he's he's on it's not like one of those things where it's being done against his will or something, you know. Like this guy who is another respected manga writer came to him and said this is my idea and they talked about it for a long time and eventually like now it's happening. And that one, the rumor is that that will get an anime adaptation, even though it hasn't even released yet, or at least that it's very likely, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, I think we really need a spinoff where Moody Blues, Abakio just solving mysteries. Yeah. Yeah, that. But it would be like another stand user, you know what I mean? That can interfere with the ability. Mm. So he doesn't know if his like recordings can be trusted or not. Ooh, yeah, you could you could get in some weird implications with that stuff. But like, give me like Abakio and who else? Okay, I'm turning this around. I got a question now. Who do we pair up for the mystery spinoff series, which doesn't even necessarily have to take place in the main timeline because we know that some of these spinoffs won't, and that uh, also 7 and 8 establish a different timeline, parts 7 and 8. So after... Did you know this? I don't know if you know this, but... I, I'm aware of this, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. So, uh, but yeah, so, so after Stone Ocean, we're going to get into a different timeline of JoJo um that people say is great so i'm just perfectly excited i don't give a shit (laughs) um but uh but yeah so this could even take place in an entirely different timeline where like abakio is just he's like a private eye but he he, he's got a partner who's his partner if we can just pick anyone from jojo who's your choice for a great detective show specifically it's gotta be mista i'm because it's like I want Abakio to be like the detective. (laughs) Like Abakio is like the detective. He's stern and he's Mm -hmm. like, I just got to get to the bottom of the case. And then Mista is like this like clean cut, but very like um, trigger happy kind of like uh, he's not he's not really violent, but more so like he chases the action more than he should. Like he will botch an investigation or he will get into a car chase instead of like seriously following up on clues. So having that kind of buddy cop dynamic would be interesting. It's such an, some ways obvious, but amazing choice. (laughs) 
You could do Bruno too, but then it would just like actually do it with Bruno, but then they're gay. <laughs> then it makes sense. Then I'm then I'm down with it. I'm down with that version too, but I actually like the Mista Abakio dynamic that you described better with like Mista kind of being a little bit more hot headed and reckless. Mm-hmm. Abakio being a little more sleuthy. Um I think uh you know the the ultimate power duo here would be Moody Blues plus uh Heaven's Door, right? Rohan Kinshibe. Yeah. Yeah. Because Rohan Kinshibe can interrogate any suspect and Moody Blues can investigate any crime scene. Like those two together could solve fucking mysteries that would take Sherlock Holmes six weeks in like a half hour. We're really, we're really like coming up with the Law and Order JoJo's Bizarre Adventure uh, lineup here. <laughs> but it makes sense. It makes it makes total sense. I would also say, um, Josuke, Crazy Diamond, and Moody Blues. Moody Blues. Looking back through time at the crime scene, Crazy Diamond reverting the crime back scene to back the... together. Right. Oh. Boom. Yeah, no, that sounds cool. That's the a, two that's of them cool. working out what happened together using those powers. Bam. Araki, call me. Um... <laughs> there is also the, um, I don't know. We should get like uh, an account of Avdol and Polnareff just fucking on the DL. Because I got that vibe from them. <laughs> I got that fucking vibe. Like and while the re- while the other three were like at the restaurant or something, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, we're heading to the bathroom." Not show up for another thirty minutes, and then it's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. we were we come to the bathroom." I always thought with Polnareff, the heartbreak earrings felt like very straight guy. Um, straight now, yes, like straight in tw- in in twenty twenty one, but in the nineties, who gets like the lips tattooed on their neck? Though you know, that's where my head's at. Hmm. Like that's I don't know. Polar F get, it came off more straight to me than your average JoJo character. That's all I'm saying. True, he is French. I have to take that into account. Yeah, he's not gay, he's just French. <laughs> I, I feel like Kakuin is obviously straight. Certified MILF hunter. Yeah. Jotaro's um, in the closet. Actually, wait, I'm, Kakuin's might be Kakuin might be bisexual. He MILF kinda, and Dilf Hunter, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he kinda he kinda occasionally hits on Jotaro a little bit. That that's true. That's true. Um, and those two clearly have like a weird bond from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, also, it, it makes sense for him to go after Jotaro because Jotaro is going to be a dad in the future. So, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, we, we debated about gayest moments. What's this? Who's the straightest character in JoJo? This is a challenge, actually. In JoJo, <laughs> straightest character in JoJo. It's not Joseph. 
Joseph did drag to distract Nazi guards like that. Nah, that's that's yeah. definitely coded. That is a queer definitely coded this. Um, <laughs> that drag scene is something else, especially again, put it into the context of its time. And you're like, wow. That, hmm. What are you trying to say? <laughs> a lot. He was trying to say a lot. To say um, a lot. Um, <laughs> it's not Caesar. Caesar is not... Caesar's a little gay. Caesar doesn't even produce another Zeppeli. That's how you know. Come on. Exactly. Do you think Okiyasu? Yeah, probably. Okuyasu does... He's, he's just a real straight bro. Like, I feel like he would probably try with a guy, and he would just be like, I didn't, it didn't do anything for me. Sorry, guys. Yeah, he'd be one of those people that's really honest about that, too. He'd be like, yeah, I had sex with a guy once, didn't like it. He'd be like, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, Josuke, I accidentally erased my asshole with Zahando. <laughs> now I can't shit. Oh, fuck. Um, Okuyasu and Josuke definitely, like... They're just homies. Like, there's a lot of Joe Bros and JoJo's that are like, are they pals or are they pals, you know? But those Koichi's straight. Koichi's the straightest. Part four is the straightest part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Josuke is the most likely to be straight. And if anything, it would be like bisexual with a female partner for Josuke. Yeah, like uh, bisexual, but you know, kind of prefers women, but occasionally like dates a man or something. Something like that. Maybe. I feel I like mean, Koichi. Honestly, though, he could be he could be fully straight. Like he really does not give off anything resembling the queerest vibe. Maybe of- like metrosexual at best, and no one's metrosexual anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a tie between Koichi and uh, and Okiyasu for straightest character. Oh, Koichi's really straight. Koichi's exceptionally straight. Yeah. For JoJo. I think Koichi wins. <laughs> yeah, Koichi wins. Straightest character. Okay. Next question I had, actually. Uh, what was your favorite fight in the series? Ooh. Ooh. Um, damn, this is so tough. <sighs> damn, that's a hard one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I really think the, um, uh, I think that the obvious choice that a lot of people point towards that I do think is really. Very bloody for sure. Yeah, and it's just like the stakes in that fight are so high. And uh, the intensity of it really like came across really well. And their stands are both very interesting. So that was a really fun one. Although I will say the only letdown of that one is that the environment that they're fighting in is not the absolute most exciting it's basically just like a dragon ball z rocky rocky spot (laughs) maybe that's why people liked it it reminded them of dragon ball (laughs) i do like dragon ball i can't lie uh it's not my favorite thing ever but i grew up with it you know 
it's just good clean fun i mean it's not yeah. clean but <laughs> <laughs> um i think that's a, a really obvious one and i do think that one's really good and it definitely holds a special place in my heart but i also think um uh the fight with uh it's a uh, wamu right on the pillars yeah 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 that's amazing i love that fight I, th- yeah. I that one sticks in my mind more than almost any other jojo fight like so memorable and that was i think too like that was very memorable to me because i remember that fight really standing out as like wow this show is more than i expected yeah um so that one really incredible the fight with wamu just really like really fun creative strange interesting fight really great setup too because it's like this whole bait and switch where jojo thinks he's going to his final trial with his mentor and then oh actually wamu's here he's killed your mentor and he plans to kill you um but also you're gonna fight him in your stupid ass fucking trial arena (laughs) which is this like pillar nonsense right (laughs) um and like, oh, it was just like such a great setup, and uh, everything about that fight—really fun, really compelling, really good fight. Um, Joseph just in his element, the tricks with the thread and everything. I love that one. Oh yeah, mine actually isn't even a fight at all. Mine is actually the card game against um. Darby the Elder. Oh yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that's, that's where we. Fun. Good. Yeah, yeah. that's just where we see Jojo like really like his ability to bluff and like not show his cards until the last moment. Because he does that with every other physical fight where he's like, actually, I, I here's I'm gonna pull my way out of this one. And it always looked like it was uh, just written that way. Maybe that is the case, but this is like the one time where it's like, no, no, he's quick on his feet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a really fun encounter. That's one of the best encounters in part three. And he he basically bet everyone's soul on that, so the stakes were actually pretty high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very uh, intense, very fateful. Um, also, I think we should honorably mention the seven-page Muda. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. <laughs> that actually is a great, it's a very long, but actually, like, deservedly long. It doesn't feel like it's just drug out. It feels like, you know, it makes sense that this fight with these two dudes takes this long, because, like, it's really, their powers are strong, and... They're At kind of point, monstrous. Like, they really make a point to show how monstrous these two are. Yeah, these two are really monstrous. They really have no morals or compunctions. Like, Risotto was, like, a bad guy, but you could tell he had some sense of honor. These two are just truly monsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, that's, like, that raises the stakes in that kind of way, too, compared to most of the other villains from this arc and stuff. And um, And also, like, the team is, like, split up and fucked up and shit by this point. Mm-hmm. So uh, it no longer feels like, well, why are you having trouble with two stand users as a bunch of you? It's like, oh, yeah, like, there's like three of you that can fight right now. <laughs> and one of you is like, 
half dead and by the end of this fight will basically be done for. <laughs> but they pull through. <clears throat> but yeah, that seven page Muda feels so deserved against such a bad dude after such a long fight. Like, Giorno just beats the shit out of him. Wonderful moment. <laughs> it was cathartic. It was definitely among the most cathartic in in the series because, like, we don't see Giorno exactly be heroic. Like, a lot of it is just like inter mafia fights. So for like him to take down these guys, who like they get into like what these guys' crimes were. Yeah. And how like they were willing to just like cut off everyone in in Bruno's squad. And then for like Giorno to like, or actually both the guys basically get thrown into like a garbage truck or something, right? Yeah, they literally both get thrown <laughs> in the trash when they die. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that that definitely goes into the top five moments for sure. Great fight. Final question in my list. Ooh. If you had a stand, what would it be? In terms of the power, and what musical reference would it be? Counterpoint, what bad localization name would it be as well? <laughs> uh, this is so hard, you know, because the stand could be like anything. So, like, you know, sometimes when you're thinking about, like, oh, what, what powers would I have? Or, like, something like, like an obvious thing be like, what D&D class are you? Well, you yeah. know, there's like, a, there's like a set number of options in effect. Um, and you can kind of get esoteric with it, but still here it's like a stand could be anything. A stand could be like, um, uh, every time I poop, uh, laser beams shoot out of my toenails. Right. right? right. Like, <laughs> um, so, uh, that makes this really challenging. Um, I would definitely be into, uh, a stand that could like, maybe temporarily make objects invisible is one that I've thought about. Um, which I think we've seen something kind of like that before, but mm -hmm. I do like that kind of idea. Cause like, I like something that's like a little playful like that, where it's like, you can see some uses, but also how do you really make it useful? Um, I also think like, uh, I love stands like risotto's stand that use something really common and like make use of it. So uh, another idea would just be like a stand that could like manipulate um, like a basic element in a creative way. I know I'm not explaining myself super well, but that's I just like that idea a lot. <laughs> uh, so like maybe something like a, a, a stand that can like turn water into like any of its other forms wherever it is mm. but like within a really short range so if i get super close to you i can turn your blood to steam and kill you gotcha <laughs> and what would the musical reference be uh so it's gonna be a reference to beach house for sure um probably Very. i was thinking their album depression cherry would make a pretty good <laughs> Uh, stand name Depression Cherry, go! <laughs> and then the localization would be Sadness Fruit. Yeah, Sadness Fruit, maybe. Uh, oh, wait, no, it's got to be uh, it's got to be Sad Stone Fruit. 
Seth Stonefruit. There you go. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's brilliant. <laughs> what that's about solid. you? What's your stand? Okay, I was thinking about this on the spot because I did this like with with a couple friends a long time ago. I wear like my uh, my affection for the weekend on like my sleeve. So I had a stand in mind called Starboy, and it looked exactly like uh, Magician's Red, but instead of being like a bird, it was more owl-themed, and it could control light. Nice. But now that I think about it, I thought of something better. I would call the stand The Weekend, but like Death 13, it puts you in an alternate world. But it's a world where like you have everything you want, and you're distracted Ooh. from what's happening outside this world. So you're completely distracted, you're satisfied, you want everything you want, and outside the dream world, I'm kicking your ass. Yeah. So the day would be called the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. But then the localization would probably be Saturday and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) End of the work week. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god then like i get like a stand upgrade called labor day weekend (laughs) i like that act three christmas break oh snap (laughs) yeah it'd be cool to have a stand with acts like that that seems pretty pretty boss yeah, I think we only see two stands, and I think one is like uh, Johnny Joestar in Part 7. He has four acts for his stand, and then the only other person with acts is uh, Koichi. Yeah, I think that has to do with something about just like the personality of the user, you know? Yeah. Because, um, of course, that's what a lot of this has to do with. Um. I will say, if I could just have anyone's existing stand power, it would definitely just be the Italian chef's make you food that heals your problem stand power. Honestly, yeah, he was... What was his name again? You know what? I should have said that's my favorite stand. Antonio, yeah. Antonio. Yeah, Antonio's stand is the fucking... The bomb. And they made him look so frightening, and then it's like, oh no, my stand is I cook for people. Pretty much the greatest episode of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure ever. While we're talking about favorite things. I know we're trying to wrap this up, but we can't not talk about Antonio for one second because what a guy. No, we, we should, we should. I mean, <laughs> I, I like that in the episode of uh, VBS you were doing with Joe, I think, yeah, for, on JoJo's. That was the clip you guys showed. And I'm like, no, this is actually perfect because unlike most JoJo clips, you'll show people to like get them acclimated. This one actually makes sense. Also, his stand's called Pearl Jam, which I find funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, like I was saying earlier, I'm kind of a sucker for the stands that are like actually kind of good inclined. And like, this is a stand that's like just meant to help people, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Like, oh, does right. it even have, like, a violent potential? I I mean, 
Unless his stand can cook food that can hurt people or poison yeah. people, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, unless there's some aspect of his stand that we don't know about because maybe like there is some way to do violence with it and he's just like, I don't do that, you know? Which so, makes you know, sense. Which makes yeah. sense. Um, but like, yeah, it just seems like it may not even have that capability. Which is kind of cool. It's kind of interesting. So, yeah, shouts out to Tonio. Another amazing character. Too many great characters. Too much to, th- to talk about. Uh, I'm glad we got to do this because talking about politics and stuff is fun, but also JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is the greatest thing. Right, right. <laughs> and I feel like people should talk about politics a little less, you know what I mean? In terms of like I with some of these discussions, like I wanna ask people seriously, like, okay, what's my action item with this? Cause you can spend all day like saying shit that's objectively correct, but if there's no action item to come with some of these discussions, we can kind of let it slide and talk about anime. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and we have an easy action item here, which is watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. There you go. Because <laughs> it's really, really good. Like, uh, I know we didn't talk as much about like the wider themes, and I don't want to drag this out forever, but I'll just say really quickly that like the generational storytelling and... Um, the just sort of um, real magicality of that. And I don't mean that in like the superficial sense of like Harry Potter, they wave wands around, but like in like the sense of like these things feel magical and hard to explain that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but in like a fun and consistent enough way that you can keep following the story. Uh, all of that stuff really comes together in some really unique ways. I can't really think of that many stories that take place over like six or seven generations like that. It's very no, unique. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's really, very unique. Yeah, like what what else what else does that in general? It's very unusual to see <sighs> something like that. Maybe the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings if you want to view it that way, but not Which on is not, not an unfair way to view it because it's, you know. It is like, here's this one story, then this time passes, here's another. So that's fair. But yeah, look, there's not a lot. There's not, there's not a heck of a lot that you can point to where you have this, here are these characters, and then, oh, now they're old. And then, oh, now some of them have died. And it's their great, 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 great grandchildren that we're following now, <laughs> you know? I don't even think like uh, soap operas like General Hospital do that anymore. I think they just write the plot however it, however it comes out. Yeah, so, you know, I think that that really has to be looked upon and admired as extraordinarily unique and interesting. Um, And that, you know, it's not like, it's just any one of these little things that we've mentioned that makes it good, but I just want to emphasize that, like, the overall storytelling here is so very unique. It really stands out, and that's why I was really excited to do this episode. I absolutely appreciate how you know you coming on, and I wish I was a little more put together. I mean, tis the season to have you know my brain in a in a scramble lately. <laughs> but but you're right in that like uh, JoJo's is a story about inheriting aspects of ourselves from people who came before us, and that's it's also a show about life in a very weird way. Like, I'm trying to make this, like, show that's we've talked about being ridiculous as something deeper. But it is it is um, a testament to how life 
is bizarre and we're handed very strange circumstances every day of, of our lives and how we choose to respond to that with courage, with uh, choosing to be kind, with choosing to you know value our friendships and help people. That's what helps us get through the day. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Beautiful stuff. Any other closing thoughts before we move to plugs? <laughs> no, I think we've really covered it now. <laughs> um, it's a it's a beautiful story. There's a lot of drama, mystery, touching friendship, horror, everything. Just, mm-hmm. It's all over the place. It's incredible. Um, I will always love to. Uh, talk about this wonderful show and so we can definitely do this again sometime (laughs) for sure for sure i think maybe we can do a follow-up to this on like the themes and jojo for sure yeah especially maybe after some more stone ocean comes out we'll be all hyped up oh yeah hell yeah (laughs) all right kennedy do you want to plug vbs and any other things and then i can move into closing out uh, listen, folks, just follow my Twitter right now. I don't know what to tell you. My life's a mess. Um, I tweet a lot. I, a lot of my tweets are pretty good, I think, uh, based on the fact that people like them, <laughs> etc. Um, uh, I have some projects in the works and some projects that I'm actively doing, but honestly, like, my life's so up in the air right now. Folks, I don't know what to tell you. I do know that I have a really exciting project that I'm going to be doing with chocolate. Um, and uh, that may take precedent over everything else. <laughs> so follow me on Twitter, uh, at Kennedy T. Cooper. And yeah. you, you'll be up to date with shit that I'm doing. Hell yeah, folks. Give Kennedy a follow. And, you know, especially like... As we're approaching Crimbus, give give all your uh, content, favorite content creators, a little love this holiday season. Anything in terms of following, subscriptions, leaving a five star review on Apple Podcasts, those little things that like help us, you know, with our stuff on the algorithm. That's the biggest thing you guys can give us in addition to feedback and your continued support. So, Kennedy deserves a follow from all of us at the greenhouse i'm, I'm also my birthday is coming up so if you don't follow me you're double rude there you go there you go folks <laughs> capricorn season baby hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> um so yeah i i forgot how to close my own show i'm not gonna edit this out it's fine <laughs> this is greenhouse gaslighting it's a show about things about things yes that's exactly (laughs) it and if uh you want to know more about the things you can follow our twitter at at pod greenhouse uh you can follow me adi at at fibonacci sniper on twitter we have the links to all the stuff in the description Go, go look it up but the biggest thing you can you guys can do to support the show right now is those little algorithm tricks like giving us five stars on any rating platform. I think Spotify has those coming up soon, but definitely an Apple podcast giving us follows, encouraging, you know, your friends to follow us. That does us all a big deal of help. Yeah. 
Help Adi trend on Apple Podcasts for a week. That shit matters. Trust me. Yeah, it's very weird how it matters, but <laughs> I don't make the algorithm. Yeah, it's not our choice. And as always, you know, you can feel free to DM us or email us with any uh, comment, feedback, or suggestions. Till next time, keep watching JoJo's. I'll see you all in the greenhouse soon enough. Take care.